Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to the book of Matthew. We're in chapter 3 right now. And uh, we're going to finish up a sermon we started last week uh, on John the Baptist. And we entitled it, uh, Don the Baptist. And um, my point it was, and still is, it didn't change from last week to this week, is that uh, we uh, insert your name here, essentially. And we say, now, how in the world can we say, you know, Donna the Baptist or whatever? Uh, how, how can we say that? And I, I told the story last week about when I was in high school and I took a Bible class and I was zoning out during my test. Youth, don't listen to any of what I'm about to say. Uh, I wasn't paying attention and it said, who was the forerunner that... Uh, told about Christ coming, and I wrote John Rittenhouse, okay, because that's my last name. I wasn't paying attention. I tried to explain to the teacher that I would never do such heresy, but uh, being the, the goof-off that I was, he didn't believe me. Um, I tried to explain that I was focusing on more important things like my future wife at that time. So uh, it didn't work. And so, I, like, of all the things you don't want to do in your high school Bible class is put your own name where John the Baptist goes. It doesn't fly. You don't get credit for that. I didn't even get half credit for having John right, but that's okay. Um, And so how can you put your name in the name of John the Baptist? It doesn't sound right, but I'm telling you, as we go on this morning, we're going to see that we absolutely can because God has got something in store for you, a ministry, a a purpose um, through his word as we live righteous and holy lives to do great things for God. So uh, real quick, I want to go over some review of what we talked about last week. But before we do that, I want to read where we're at. It's Matthew chapter three, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Uh, Feel free to use that. Uh, You can also, I think we have some Bibles in the back um, that if you don't have a Bible at home, you can go back and take it. We're going to try and keep the hardcover ones uh, in the pews for now. Okay. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptized, and he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Man, what a message that John the Baptist brings to these people. A scary message and a wonderful message all at the same time. Uh, there's a, 
We'll see some parts of this DVD, but there's a DVD. We won't this morning, but there's a DVD on the book of Matthew that's word for word NIV. And uh, the reason we're not showing it is because the actor they have for John the Baptist, when he says this, uh, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? I think it was his first acting job. And so he says it like this. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? That's exactly how it Wrath. To make it really serious. Right? I don't think John said it that way. First of all, he didn't speak English. But secondly, I think he was passionate. Because what we talked about uh, John is he was kingdom-minded. He understood the kingdom. He understood how important it was for this Messiah to come. For there to be change. And so I don't think he made a big deal and he splashed around and it was all about him. He was passionate about the kingdom. So what we did is we took a quick overview of Matthew uh, last week. It was, it was a book written by Matthew. He was a uh, tax collector. He was chosen uh, by Jesus and he had a reception for Jesus. And that was where the Pharisees said, why do you hang out with all these tax collectors? He wrote the book of uh, Matthew as a Jew, two Jews about a Jew, Jesus, the Messiah. And so we see in there, he uses this term, the kingdom of heaven, 30 times. It's not used anywhere else. That term is not used anywhere else in scripture. But Matthew wants to get across that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he brings John the Baptist on the scene. And what we talked last week about John the Baptist, if you go to the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, it talks about a forerunner coming in the spirit of Elijah. And so we showed how John the Baptist was that forerunner. And probably one of the um, best examples is in Matthew chapter 17, where the disciples said to Jesus, because the Pharisees knew about this forerunner that had to come. Elijah had to come for there to be the Messiah. And so they were saying that Jesus can't be the Messiah because there's no Elijah. And so the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 17, they said the disciples asked him, why then do you teachers of why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus says, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the son of man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Now, why do I do that? Why do I talk about that John the Baptist was Elijah? Because as we go through the book of Matthew, we're going to see a lot of instances that relate back to the Old Testament. Matthew has about 130 allusions to or direct references to the Old Testament to talk about that Jesus was the Messiah. That throughout the entire scripture, there's this thread of redemption from the very first time that God opens his mouth through the word in Genesis. That God wants to have a relationship with us and that we were designed by him to glorify him uh, in our lives. So we talked about Matthew. We talked about John the Baptist, that he was um, uh, that he was this forerunner. And we talked about his radical calling that his father was a priest, Zacharias, and not the kind of priest we think of that. You know, we think of a, a parish has one head priest and he's kind of the dude. That wasn't the way it was back then. There was a high priest, but there were also a whole bunch of other priests that would come and minister at the temple for about two weeks. 
what, it, it's when their course was up. They called it a course. And so Zacharias shows up to do his work for a couple of weeks and he goes back to his job. Zacharias was no different than you or I serving in the church, doing our thing, and then we have our lives. But it goes on in Luke uh, chapter 1. This is what we find out about Zacharias. He and his wife, they were both righteous in the sight of the Lord, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. God used this humble couple to bring forth John the Baptist. And we remember the story where uh, uh, the angel comes to Zacharias and says, you're going to have a son. And Zacharias says, how can that be? Uh, Elizabeth hasn't had any babies yet. And he says, "Okay, for your doubt, you don't get to speak for nine months. You're going to be totally mute. Then he goes right from there to Mary, says, hey, you're going to be pregnant with a child. She says the same thing. How can that be? And he's like, oh, you favored one of God. You silly. See you later. Zacharias is mute for months. Mary's, she just gets off with a warning practically. And again, I talked about this last week. It's all through the scripture. Women get special treatment. Uh, I'm going to preach a five-week series on it, right? So we went through this Matthew, then we went through John the Baptist, and then we went to our first point, and we got got stuck on that of uh, how did John the Baptist usher in the kingdom of God, and how can we usher in the kingdom of God in our own lives? And the first was to recognize the kingdom, to recognize the kingdom. John the Baptist understood that the kingdom was coming and he recognized it when it appeared. The reason he recognized it is because he was filled with the Holy Spirit when he was still in his mother's womb. And this idea that as we have the Spirit of God in us and we give that Spirit access to us by listening through the word of what the Spirit of God's saying or speaking through, uh, uh, telling us to do specific things that we can hear. And as we do them, we recognize the kingdom of God in our own lives. And I bet every single one here has recognized the kingdom of God at some time or other in their life when they look and go, man, the Lord really wants me to do something right now. He really wants me to talk to that person. He really wants me to do this. I really need to get out of this addiction. That's the spirit of God saying, hey, it's time for a change. The kingdom of God is here. Make the right decision. So John the Baptist recognized the the kingdom. And we talked about three quick things here that uh, God's kingdom requires God's timing. Remember, from Malachi to Matthew, 400 years of silence. God didn't speak through his prophets during that time. Why? Why this silence? I don't know. (laughs) But it's God's timing. And so John the Baptist then starts out his ministry in the desert. He spends all his time in the desert until the kingdom of God is at hand. And it was all God's timing. And some of us might be in a desert time right now. For whatever reason, the salvation of a spouse or your kids are just driving you nuts. And you're going, man, Lord, do something with them. And we talked about in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards us. Not wishing that anybody perish, but that all would be saved. So God's uh, kingdom requires God's timing. The second thing we talked about was God's kingdom requires God's approach. The kingdom of God in your life may not look like what you want. (laughs) Blessing, which the Bible is 
chock full of blessing, we're promised blessing, may not come as a Porsche. <laughs> right? Ah, oh, it might come as something totally different. Wealth and riches. Oh boy, the Bible talks about that. It might come as something totally different than that promotion you've been praying for all this time. God's kingdom requires God's approach to things. And we talked about how John the Baptist started just preaching in the desert. He didn't go to Jerusalem. If I were John the Baptist, I would have probably gotten plugged in in the major cities because I have a big uh, kingdom to proclaim and I want to be well connected. That's the way I think. (laughs) Right? God's approach and John the Baptist was open to that. And then we talked about how Jesus said to the woman at the well, there's a time coming that's going to look totally different. Our approach to worship is going to look completely different. We won't worship on this mountain or at the temple or in Jerusalem. But a time's coming when God is going to look for his worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. And Jesus said, that time is right now in my kingdom. And so it's a different approach than what we had in the past. And then thirdly, we talked about God's kingdom uses God's people. And uh, that's when we talked about poor Zacharias, who uh, got ill treatment and then Mary got off scot-free. Right? But what was the same about them? They were both humble. They were both righteous. Remember, the Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you found favor with God. Uses God's people. God's people, praise God, doesn't Success doesn't look like the world. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to be attractive. You don't have to be a good athlete. You don't have to be anything but faithful. And so we don't ever have to worry about, man, God can't use me. He's God. Of course he can use us. So we stopped there. And now we get into the second part. The first was uh, to recognize the kingdom The second part is to renounce your citizenship. Oh, no, you're kidding me. Renounce my citizenship? You mean say I don't want to be an American anymore? No, that's not what I'm saying. We recognize the kingdom of God, and then we, 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 we renounce our citizenship. Philippians 3.20 says this, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is not of this world. John the Baptist comes on the scene in verse 2, and the first words out of his mouth are, Repent. That is a, that's a tough word. I would have danced around it a little bit first. I would have said, you know what? You guys aren't too bad. You're worshiping up in Jerusalem. It's pretty cool, but uh, it's not going to cut it anymore. So you got to do something else. John the Baptist says, do a 180, turn around in mind and action, and renounce what you thought was religious comfort, what you thought was going to get you to heaven, your good works or whatever it was. Renounce that citizenship. The first thing I want us to see is not to rely on your pedigree. John the Baptist grew up in a very spiritual home. His father was a priest. I'm sure he knew all that stuff. And yet God had something different for John the Baptist. God said, don't rely on that anymore. And for some of us here, we need to begin to look at our relationship with God as different than our parents or different than our brother or sister, or try to attach onto something that we've had for a long time. This part of this pedigree that makes us feel like, oh yeah, yeah, I understand what's going on. And go, man, I am a sinner. 
I am not worthy to go before the throne of God except for what Christ has done for me. We need to be a people of repentance even now, even as we're clothed in righteousness, it says in Scripture. We need to be uh, totally, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Aware of what we were saved from. And what he says to these uh, Pharisees and Sadducees when they come up on the scene is he says, repent. Now what he does here, which is very cool, is he calls them a brood of vipers, which is essentially offspring of vipers. It's not like brooding vipers like, mm, you know, like, my, like my son does. You like that? Exactly why I love having the youth in church, okay? All the adults were like, ah, oh, the kids are like, yeah, okay, very cool, right? Not brooding, they were offspring of vipers. And he uses a specific word here uh, for a snake that he's probably very well aware of. These little snakes, they looked like sticks. They looked innocent. And so if you were gathering sticks or if you were a little mouse and you were just walking around, it would lie very still and then get you. This was the same type of viper, theologians say. I don't know how they know this. That got uh, Paul on the hand when he was in Malta, getting uh, the island of Malta, when he was getting those sticks together. Okay? But the thing is, he uses this word of something that looks so innocent and yet inside is full of venom. He says to these Pharisees, listen, you, and Jesus continued this, didn't he? When he said, you guys, are, you guys are like bowls that are washed on the outside, but inside you're just full of junk. You're whitewashed tombs on the outside. You look so great. But inside, Jesus said, you're dead man's bones. And this, this whole kingdom starts out with John the Baptist going, you brood of vipers. You guys look like innocent sticks that we could use to warm our house or whatever, but you guys are poisonous snakes. That's a tough word. And then he goes on and he says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? And in the next verses, in verses 10, 11, and 12, John's hitting them with this idea of fire. And it gives the concept of uh, in the desert where you'd have a brush fire or uh, sometimes in parts of the desert they'd, they'd, they'd plant fields there and after the harvest it would get dry. And if they caught on fire, the little rodents and snakes would all leave the fire. And you can picture John seeing these Pharisees coming from their comfort in Jerusalem, coming down into the desert. And, Jesus, and John says, who warned you that it was coming? Now, it says that the Pharisees and Sadducees were coming to get baptized. But what we know about them is that it was most likely either for show or to try and get in on this new kingdom because the Sadducees were pretty much the political figures of that time. It would be akin to, uh, have you ever seen uh, when you're watching the news and a political figure like is in trouble? And so he, he has a press conference in front of a church or you see him walking into church. Hey, everybody, I'm going into church here. I'm a good guy. Same type of thing. OK, if the Sadducees were running for office, they'd be like, I'm just heading down to John the Baptist to go get baptized there. John the Baptist works them and says, who warned you? You can't rely on your pedigree anymore. So then the Pharisees say, well, you know what, dude, I am not. I just happen to be a child of Abraham. So I'm good. John comes right after that. And he says, oh, and don't think you can say to yourselves, this is verse nine, we have Abraham as our father. Don't you hate that when people do that to you? You're like coming up with a good argument and they're like, oh, and don't even try to go, like your wife is like, and don't even try to go that you vacuumed up the living room. Oh, you know, I didn't do anything. Oh, nuts. Okay. This is what John the Baptist does. 
says, don't think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. That's my second point here. Don't rely on your religion. Don't think just because I've been going to church all this time or I'm a pastor or whatever, that that somehow disqualifies me from this attitude of repentance. The fact that I'm in full-time ministry, that, you know, I study the Bible, means nothing. God wants me to have a humble heart, self-control. And so that's what we come to, to him and uh, to, to uh, God with. And he, he picks just a brutal thing. He says to uh, these Pharisees and Sadducees, God can raise up anybody, dead stones, to be his children. It's not about what you do or where you come from. It's about how you're going to approach God. Then he goes into a, Another thing that was just really tough for the Pharisees to handle. But bring fruit in keeping with repentance. See, when we rely on religion, we rely on things. Like uh, Nate was talking about uh, when he was preaching. About, hey, how are you? He asked somebody, how are you doing? Well, I haven't been reading much. Okay, great. I haven't read my Bible. Remember, I, I talked about a couple weeks ago. When, we, when someone asks you how you're doing spiritually, typically we go... How's my sinometer? Is it is it like way in the red? No, it's about here. Okay, good. Have I been having my quiet times? Yeah. Okay, great. Okay, fine. Yeah, no, I'm doing pretty good. And John the Baptist says, I want to see fruit in keeping with repentance. That's what I want to see. And so when we, when we go before the Lord and we, we, we have this kingdom mindset that we are to be used of him and we say, Lord, we are totally uh, not uh, worthy of ourselves, but what you do, then what should happen is there should be fruit that comes. Jesus, again, continued this message through uh, his uh, three-year ministry where he said, you'll know them by their fruit. You can't have a fig tree bring forth thorns or a thorn tree bring forth figs you'll see it you'll see it by their fruit so he says don't uh, rely on your religion thirdly don't rely on yourself faith is not possible with pride this idea of repentance was a tough one for the pharisees and the sadducees and you know what for us it's tough as well if we really set our standards for our life along with scripture, it's a, it's a tough word, repent. It means to, to turn 180 degrees and go the other way. It doesn't just mean to feel sorry. That's a part of it. But it's to turn. And there are things in our lives, I guarantee in a group this size, that we know God is saying, you have to stop that. You have to stop that. You have to stop that. And we go, oh, by grace, we've been saved through faith. There needs to be a fruit of repentance, a giving up of things if that's what God requires. Now, what John the Baptist was doing was foreign to the Jews. He was baptizing. We don't see in the Old Testament Jews getting baptized. Like, where in the world did this come from, this idea of baptism? Because the Jews had, for their sins, it was a, it was a sacrifice on the altar by priests in the temple. They had ceremonial washings that God had uh, ordained. And then, of course, the Pharisees had taken those into, you know, manicured nails and the whole, the whole bit. They'd kind of taken it up a level. 
right? And so where did this idea of baptism come? What come from? Well, baptism came from if you were a Gentile and you wanted to become a Jew, you were baptized. So what John the Baptist was essentially saying to these Jews is you are not a part of the kingdom right now. You are not one of God's chosen people. You need to be baptized. And so on this point of do not rely on yourself, this was a very humbling thing for a Jew, especially the Pharisees and Sadducees, to come and say, I'm not God's chosen people. That's why, G- that's why John gets them with this. Don't say you're Abraham's son and that's going to make it for you. We're going to start all over again right now. And again, we need to be a people who are ready to start all over again right now. Have you ever had a period in your life that I know I have where I felt so close to God? Things, dynamic things were happening in my life, in ministry and in my job and family. And I felt so close to God. And then I said, it'll never be different than this. I've, I've found it, right? This is it. And then over time, maybe it's not a bunch of sin or anything. It just, we just go into this time. I'm here to tell you, don't try to go back to another time of when it felt great. Just start now. What does the Lord have for me now? It might look completely different than before. Lisa and I have been to a whole bunch of different churches and we've heard, uh, uh, we feel like it's been a great experience to see God moving in a, a little more charismatic environment, um, sometimes even a little more pharisaical environment where you're like, you know, but God was moving in, in either way. If we had just stayed in one thing, we would have missed out on a lot of the things God has for us. And what I'm encouraging us to do as a church is not to rely on ourselves, on this past of what we think God can do. But to come in every day fresh going, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me today? I renounce my citizenship of the past. I I, I want it to look something totally different. What does your kingdom have for me today? And to open our eyes to the fact that it may be completely different than before. Renounce your citizenship. The third one is represent your ruler. Now that you've renounced your citizenship to whatever it is that brings you comfort... Because remember, these people were leaving Jerusalem. They were leaving the comfort of their religion, their homes, and they were going out into the desert in order to find God. They were renouncing that, John was asking them to do. And now, some of them have been baptized. God's saying, uh, John is saying, John is saying that the kingdom of God is at hand right now. You've been baptized, now what? Represent your ruler. John was a great representation of, of the God he served. Remember in Matthew eleven eleven, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. I've mentioned that verse about 20 times this week and last week. And you say, well, if there's no one greater than John the Baptist, how can I put my name there? Well, let's keep going on. The life you, ref- uh, the li- the life you live reflects the God or God. Did I put both of them up? Yeah, cool. You serve. Again, bringing forth the fruit of repentance. I can say all I want. Oh, I love God. I, 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 oh, I want to serve Him with all my heart. But then my fruit 
matches the God I really serve. What was that? So my fruit. Man, I should have really boomed it out there. All right. Exits are located in the back of the church and on the sides here, just in case anything happens. Wow, an earthquake. Very cool. Okay, it was an earthquake. We're in California. Happen all the time. All right, here we go. The life you live reflects the God you serve. And so, so as I begin to bring forth fruit in my life, it shows me who my God really is. There are many, many times in my life when I was talking a great talk about God, but when my favorite catalog came in, it happens to be the Taylor guitar catalog, I would pour over that page by page and fantasize about if I had more money, I'd get this equipment and that and this and that, showing the God I really served. Sometimes I'd talk about God and then I'd just obsess about what's my next rung on the ladder. What, what, okay, so what if I got a different job and, I, and we moved over here and I did that and da, 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 da. I, I, I kept talking about it, but my life reflected the God I really served. One theologian said that John the Baptist's appearance was a sermon if he had never said a word. That's a pretty, that's a pretty cool uh, picture there. His just very appearance was a sermon if he'd never said a word. Does, does my life reflect a sermon, oh, I'm not, not a sermon because they can be boring, but does my life reflect all that God has for me? Or is it just one struggle after another? One, oh, I got to get rid of that sin. Oh, this thing keeps dragging me down instead of life everlasting, instead of joy that's overflowing. So that when we do not, well, so then we, when we are in a situation where we don't get the raise, everyone around goes, wow, you handled that really well. Yeah, whatever. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is describing pretty much uh, John. Uh, In verse 31, he's telling the disciples, don't worry about what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. What am I saying? I'm saying if we live a life that really trusts in God, we don't have to dress in camel's hair and wear a leather belt. Okay, but we shouldn't fear it. We shouldn't fear if that's what God's calling us to. So in other words, if the kingdom of God shows up at work and you're asked to do something that would compromise your representation of Jesus, and you say, but man, if I don't do this, my boss is going to fire me and I'll end up homeless, looking like John the Baptist. Don't fear that. When we serve God and, 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 and we are putting ourselves in situations where uh, we have to compromise and we say, but if I don't compromise, I won't. This won't happen. It doesn't matter. It goes on for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. So what am I supposed to do? Verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When, the, when God, when the joy of the Holy Spirit and my, uh, um, uh, my, my relationship with God is in such a state that I'm living for Him, it shows up. 
second thing is uh, you live the life that uh, reflects. What do I have for my next slide? I just want to make sure I don't miss it up there. Yeah, good. We're all created to bring the kingdom of God. Remember John's story. What a radical story. That he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit from uh, the time he's in his, his mom and there's his angel. And how can we insert our name with John the Baptist? I mean, he had such a miraculous thing happen. He was called since birth. He, 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 God already knew what, what he had planned for John the Baptist. How can I put my name there? Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's workmanship. Please, please, if you take anything away from this morning, take this away. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Again, works that are befitting repentance, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This word workmanship is a rich word. It's actually the same word that's used here in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood through, essentially, same Greek word, his workmanship, so that they are without excuse. All of creation, which is, includes us, <laughs> is designed to bring glory to God. And nature does it by its own. It says that all of creation groans for the coming of Christ again, a second coming. And in the same way, we are God's workmanship. We are crafted by his hand, vessels to hold his glory. That is just amazing to me. And no matter how you think of yourself, it's irrelevant to how God thinks of you. Very important. We all have gifts. And listen to this. So as John the Baptist was called, filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, we were knit together in our mother's womb. And we're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, to bring in the, to usher in the kingdom of God in our lives, to proclaim diligently God's coming. I've been kind of cheating for the last couple weeks because I keep reading only part of the scriptures. Go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, this next slide. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And then it continues. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What? Greater than John the Baptist? That guy had it all. He baptized Jesus. Who gets to say that? He dressed like a maniac and was totally sold out for God. Was able to to have total self-control. And he, he, he was able to, as much as we can read, live a life of faith. And yet the word continues that those who are least in the kingdom of God are greater than him. It goes back to what we were talking about a few weeks ago. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how in the world can I be greater than John the Baptist when he's got so much riding uh, on his name there? I'm not even Baptist. How can I be better than John the Baptist, right? That was a horrible, horrible joke, and I apologize for that. Uh, The first is, go ahead to that next slide. 
What made John the Baptist great? First, he was humble. He was humble. It's a word that uh, we don't use too much in America <laughs> in reading the news or uh, uh, on the radio talk shows. Uh, humble doesn't really come up very much. But humility is essential for godliness. If we want to have fruits that represent repentance, we need to be people of humility. And I think I've mentioned it here before. It's kind of a lame saying, but it, it, it really is fitting. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking of ourselves less. It's not that we think, oh, I can't do anything because I'm just a weak vessel. Whatever God says, you know, it's not about that. It's going, who can I serve today? What's the Holy Spirit asking me to do? I love this. Uh, uh, what we get um, this famous verse is in John three thirty. He must increase and I must decrease. That's John's humility there. We read about uh, in uh, Matthew chapter three, and it said, um, "Yeah." In verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. Look at that humility. I mean, John's really at the pinnacle of his of his uh, ministry here. Things are really starting to happen. And he's like, no way. It's not about me at all. It's all I'm doing is so that Christ can be glorified. That's what makes us that's what makes the least greatest in the kingdom of heaven that we say look all i want is that christ is glorified in my life there's a sense of humility here one of my favorite stories uh, because i can totally relate is in mark chapter 9 verses 33 through 35 and so what happens is they came to capernaum all the disciples and he was in the house he asked them because on their way down they were talking about so you know i really think i'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. no way i walked on water oh yeah well, I didn't walk on water, but you fell in the water, you know, the whole thing, right? And sitting down, Jesus called the twelve. If anyone wants to be first or greatest, he must be the very last and the servant of all. The servant of all. To have fruit that's in line with repentance, we need to be servants. That's why we have our thing, loving God, loving people. 1 Peter 5, 5, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Nate gave a message on this in um, uh, a few months ago, might have even been a year ago, about this idea of clothing yourself in humility. You put on humility. It's an awesome word picture. Secondly, John the Baptist was self-controlled. He was self-controlled. It says he had touched no wine or strong drink. And you go, oh, okay. So I basically can't drink to be a good Christian? No. My point is, is there anything in your life that you don't have control over and it's, it's misrepresenting who God is? It's misrepresenting God. See, he not only wasn't addicted to strong drink or had any wine, he was eating locusts and honey. And he dressed like uh, in camel's hair. I mean, the guy was totally focused on the kingdom. And again, I bring this up like I do all the time. I don't want to get into what's right and what's wrong. The Holy Spirit has already told you what's right and what's wrong. I guarantee it. I guarantee you've been wrestling with it already. I don't have to give you a list. 
of what you can and cannot do. If the scripture doesn't speak clearly on it, the Holy Spirit's doing that already. And John the Baptist, he was called to a certain lifestyle for him and he was self-controlled in it. And some of us, God is calling us to, to remove things in our life that he might not be calling everybody to remove. We have to be, that's part of the humility. And so being self-controlled, look at 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 24, uh, or 25, I think I have up there. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. New American Standard says exercises self-control in all things. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly, and I don't fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul was already saved, guys. Okay, Paul wasn't saying I need to work it out so that at the end I did enough stuff and I removed enough stuff in my life so that Jesus will say, "Okay, you can be saved. No, he's saying I'm already saved. I want to leave. I I want to bring the most of the kingdom of God into my life. I want to remove anything that's going to stand in the way of that. Some of some of us were allowed to watch radar movies. Others, man, the Lord has spoken clearly. So it's just a matter of listening to the Holy Spirit. Running the race God has for us. The works that God has prepared for us beforehand. John the Baptist was self-controlled. Thirdly, he was a man of integrity. He told it like it was and he was not afraid of the truth. Yikes. If there's anything about John the Baptist, that was it. He was able to, to give the strong word. And unfortunately... The kingdom of God comes in two different things. There's unbelievably joy, unbelievable joy in relationship with, him, with God. A relationship for all eternity to spend in God's presence. Exactly how we were designed. But if not, judgment. And so sometimes it's... it's for my personality, I like focusing on the good part. <laughs> About, listen, we can all have a relationship with God. It doesn't matter what we've done in the past. But John the Baptist comes and he says, there's a fire coming. There's hell. There's a real heaven and a real hell. And John was a man of integrity to be able to say, you got to do something. you got to repent. You've got to turn it around or it means hell forever. And that is a tough word. But as children of God, we need to be able to present both, be able to articulate both positions well. Otherwise, we just focus on, la, 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 isn't this great? And, pe- and the Holy Spirit might be telling somebody, you better do something quick. And you're like, well, I'll just... We forget the hell part. Ephesians six nineteen. We talked about this when we were in the book of Ephesians. Listen to what Paul asked them to pray for. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth that I may, uh, that, uh, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. 
We need to be a people that can say, yes, I believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, no matter how wacky it sounds today. We can say that. Yeah, I, I live my life according to the scriptures. Yes, I believe Jesus is God. These, these doctrines that are so important, we need to be able to speak them boldly, even though it means ridicule. Now, again, our church, we want to be a church that's culturally relevant so that we're speaking in at least the same language of the people we're talking to rather than going, well, thine firest will come down if, you know, and people are going, man, that's crazy. We speak with gentleness and reverence, always being ready to give an account for anyone who asks. But part of that, part of this integrity is being able to articulate the other side of the equation. I want to end with this. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5. Through eight. It's a lot of scripture, but it's very important. It says, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self control, and to self control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Now, listen to this. You want to talk about being the least of these in the kingdom of God? You'll be greater than John the Baptist. It's found right here. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. John the Baptist preached a message of the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is now for us. Okay? This is it. We represent the kingdom of God. And so we need to go this week and begin to ask ourselves, begin to have the Holy Spirit shine light on us. Lord, what is the area that you need to deal with me? Am I, am I too proudful? Do I think I have it all figured out? Is there no self-control in my life? And maybe the Holy Spirit brings up something that's out of those three. I mean, those were just three of them, but there's probably 20 if we really spend enough time on it, that God wants to work out in us, that we would be a church that can usher in the kingdom of God, that it can be Judy the Baptist. Where's Judy? Is she here? Yeah, Judy the Baptist. Wake up, Judy. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let's pray. Lord God, may we be a church that is totally sold out to you. That, Lord, we would not fear the desert. We would not fear uh, the camel hair robe. We would not fear the leather belt, Lord God. We would not fear what you would might take away from us. But, Lord, that we would embrace it in order to give uh, uh, you glory in all that we do and all that we say, Lord, and all the people we come around, that we would be a, a, a people that bring forth fruit, Lord God a fruitful people, not unproductive. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in love.